Hello everyone, welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. And for today's episode, we're going to be discussing North Korea and its foundings. Now, Korea for the longest time was one nation before North and South, and then after World War II, the country was divided in two along what is known as the 38th parallel. Now, Korea as a nation has had to deal with multiple countries seeking to have influence, such as China, Japan, um, Russia, and the United States. But we're going to look back in the past where China and Japan were wanting to have their influence over Korea as a nation. In fact, Japan was so demanding to have influence over the nation, China at one point had to step in to defend Korea. This result was a war breaking out in 1894 called the Shino-Japanese War, just to put it very simply. And also putting it simply, the end of this war saw Japanese victory, with the Japanese military remaining in Korea for multiple decades to come. The king at the time, Gojong, went to seek safety after his people were rightfully growing angry, and Japanese enforcement kept barreling down and putting their influence on the nation. He found solace and refuge at what is now the Russian legation in Seoul for the Soviet Union. This is when we saw the influence in Korea take over from Soviet Union, and the king received quite a bit of decision-making from them. And this did not make the Japanese occupation at the time happy, as you could tell. Even more so when the Soviet Union was wanting to bring in the Trans-Siberian Railroad into Korea. Japan, not wanting to lose their stronghold on Korea, declared war. This is what became the Russo-Japanese War of 1904. That war lasted roughly a year, and it didn't have a very victorious outcome for either side. However, the Treaty of Portsmouth in 1905 was formed. Of course, Teddy Roosevelt had his hand in that, and it solidified Japan's rule in Korea. The idea was Japan would be, as I've always said, the quote-unquote big brother protecting little brother Korea. But we know from history and everything we've seen that that could not be further from the truth. The Japanese colonization was brutal for many who are willing to discuss it, especially for those who are still alive today who will be willing to discuss it. Resistance groups as a result from this occupation were formed in an attempt to you know, preserve their culture because Japan at the time was trying to wipe out parts of Korean culture, such as even the language itself, with many elder Koreans um, today knowing Japanese but may or may not be able to read their own native language of Hangul. And this was even more so during the Second World War. Korea was still under Japanese annexation, and of course, because Japan was brought into the fight, with you know Germany and Italy, many Koreans were forced onto the front lines of the Axis Japan's behalf, or they were forced to work in wartime factories on behalf of Japan. And likewise, thousands of Korean women ended up becoming what is known as comfort women, providing sexual services for these Japanese soldiers during this time. So Korea as a nation really suffered under Japan's rule. And the topic of, you know, Japanese colonization will go much deeper than just the few things that I have mentioned, but it has caused such a strain on Korea and Japanese relationships to this day. 
and it has a very key factor in the formation between North and South Korea, as we'll, we will discuss. It was during these fights in the Second World War, and a little bit before as well, that these resistance fighters in Korea came forth and were trying to defend their nation. And these people became what is known as the guerrilla fighters. And they picked up on some communist Soviet Union ideologies, especially if they were more so in the north of Korea as a nation. I mean, the Soviet Union, they had a very strong influence. They were an ally power. So, of course, they're going to help. Now, after Japan's defeat and the end of the Second World War in 1945, like I mentioned earlier, the former USSR Soviet Union and United States came to a stalemate on what was going to happen with Korea as a country because of Japan's loss. In the end, two generals ended up splitting Korea, pretty much just kind of eyeballing the land along what is now known as the 38th parallel. And initially, this divide was to be temporary, but due to the impeding Cold War, distrust from both sides, it further permeated the divide of this once unified country. The North was falling under the guise of the Soviet Union. The South was established under the supervision of the United States. Now, both parties ended up appointing leaders that simula similarly reflected their own beliefs. This is where we see the United States hand over the southern half of Korea to the leadership of Sigmund Rhee, who was very anti-communist, and the Soviet Union gave power to who we know now as Kim Il-sung. In 1948, on August 15th, Rhee would declare the formation of the Republic of Korea in Seoul, claiming to have complete jurisdiction over all of Korea, not just the South, but the entire nation. A few weeks later, September 8th, 1948, Kim Il-sung formed the Democratic People's Republic of Korea in Pyongyang, while also doing the same thing that we did, claiming jurisdiction over all of Korea as a country. This is where we see the founding of North Korea, but we're going to break off and start talking a little bit more in depth about the founding of the North Korean area. As mentioned, Kim Il-sung, or Kim I, is who is known as the founder and the leader of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or what is now known as North Korea today, from the founding in 1948 until his death in July of 1994. We're going to go a little bit further down. Although he is known as the founder, the strangest thing that I found doing my research was he was not actually the first pick to be the leader of North Korea. So we're going to go into a little bit of depth of this and then we'll talk about who was actually supposed to quote-unquote be the first pick. Now, talking a bit on Kim Il-sung's background, he was born while Korea itself was still, you know, the unified country, but under Japanese annexation on April 15th, 1912, aka the day the Titanic sunk, even though, you know, North Korea was way ahead in time scale. His family, official sources claimed, was a lesser-off family in a village in Mangyongde, outside of Pyongyang. Kim claimed his birthplace was actually his mother's home in Chilgok, which was another village outside of Pyongyang. And while he is known for the name Kim Il-sung, his actual given name was Kim Sung-ju. 
his youth mentioned being brought up under Christianity, attending services, but he didn't like them. He only attended them because of his mother's beliefs. And his father was a teacher, and there was rumors that he practiced what was known as traditional Korean medicine. And he also had, like, two younger brothers. Now, what the talking of him coming from a lesser off family seems to be propaganda because other sources will cite that he actually came from a well fairly well off family in North Korea because he was able to attend school which was not always the case for a lot of Koreans at the time Kim's family like many Koreans were anti-Japanese due to the colonization and the family at one time was noted to have fled to Manchuria because of their anti-Japanese activities. And as I said, he developed the name Kim Il-sung. There's so many rumors speculating just how he got the name. Uh, there's people such as Grigory Meckler, who was a Soviet spin doctor, who claimed that he helped Kim, or helped prepare Kim to lead the North, and that the name came from a former commander in Kim's regime who had died before the end of the war. There are also rumors that state he took the name from another leader of the Korean resistance named Kim Kyung-chun, and he kind of twisted it around, but nothing has ever really been confirmed on just exactly where he formed this name, but it roughly translates into Kim become the son, and he took this name around 1935. What is known is that in 1926, Kim founded the Down with Imperialism Union to fight against the Japanese. This is the part that's considered to be the roots of North Korea and its ruling party, the Workers' Party of Korea. In 1931, Kim would join the Communist part of China and would become a member of the Northeast Anti-Japanese United Army in 1935. He became an appointed commander of the 6th Division in this army and through this, it was said that his division was able to capture a Japanese-held town. Now, this town wasn't a massive town at all. It was actually a very small town, but at the time, that was considered to be a major success for guerrilla fighters. Now, when the Soviet Union declared war on Japan in 1945, they came into Pyongyang, and this is where Kim was recommended to be like the communist leader of the Soviet-occupied land, so to speak. Through this, he got up to the top for the northern part of Korea. This is how we see the Soviet Union began to favor Kim because of all of the leadership qualities that he had. And after the defeat of Japan and the establishment of the 38th parallel, this is when we see him become a leader. However, the first actual pick for the leader of North Korea was a man by the name of Cho Man-sik. Now, a brief history of Cho Man-sik, his pen name was Godang, and he was an activist in the Korea independence movement. Now, he was approached because he was wildly respected in the area that is North Korea at the time. So the Soviets approached him and tried to convince him to go under their guise so he could be the leader of the nation. However, Cho was actually very hesitant because these were outside forces and he was anti-communist. So he said that he would agree to work with them but only on his terms. Of course this was not really going to fly with you know the Soviet Union. 
So, of course, they came to a stalemate on agreeing on how the country would be ran. However, Cho was able to remain as chairman of the South Pyongyang People's Committee for a period of time. He was also establishing his own political party at the time, which was the Democratic Party of Korea. And, of course, this just did not look good for the Soviets, so he was kind of immediately off the table at this point. That's when they turned their attention to Kim Il-sung. Now, his selection was for the fact that, of course, you know, he had the leadership for the guerrilla leaders, and the Soviet Union saw that he had similar ideals to him. And he had the Korean origin, and it seemed to be, you know, this perfect concoction to have control over the North to follow in their footsteps. However, even though Kim was born in North Korea, the majority of his time was spent in China, Manchuria, so he wasn't completely fluent in the Korean language. You know, all of his speeches, of course, had to be written and translated, but this didn't stop the Soviets. They used him as, you know, this kind of painted image of the perfect Korean and who would be the ideal person to lead the country. They used his leadership in the army to promote him as a hero, gain pride for northern Koreans, and was essentially painted godlike. As the leader of North Korea, Kim would also, you know, take his fellow comrades, place them in high positions of power, which just solidified his grip on the country. He found places like the Federation of Literature and Art, which helped him secure and promote the way he believed people should live through influence in the North Korean culture. We aren't quite finished yet, though. Kim had a motive that was claimed to be he wanted to restore Korea to its former glory, or so what he believed was its former glory. He had been begging and begging the former Soviet leader Stalin to um, just be able to go in and like take South Korea back. He said it would be super simple, only take a few days. Eventually, Stalin kind of reluctantly agreed. He didn't really want to go into this and deal with fighting with the U.S., but somehow he got convinced. He also managed to be backed by China in doing this around June of 1950. This would turn South Korea and the United States adamantly against North Korea, China, and the USSR, resulting in the Korean War. Now, although the Korean War is sometimes listed as a forgotten war, don't let that sit there as millions of people suffered and died as a result of this. Something that Kim said would only take like roughly three days took three years. It didn't end in an actual, you know, stopping of the war. It resulted in a ceasefire in 1953. North Korea was forced to sign this, but the South never signed. Even with the ceasefire, the Kim Dynasty still focuses on war even up to this day. It's been carried out generation to generation, and it's had a stronghold on the country as a whole. So there we have it, a short introduction into the founding of North Korea. Now, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know. If there's anything that I missed out, please feel free to comment as well. You can reach out to me at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. 
So I hope you guys have a wonderful day and a splendid Thanksgiving holiday coming up. And until the next episode, we'll see you then.